Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. This morning, I want to talk to you on the theme, Seeing What God Sees. Seeing What God Sees. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13. We're going to read several verses so you can follow along on the screen. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside. Because of the people of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priest shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. It's a very unusual story. If you're familiar with the book of Joshua, even if you aren't, Joshua has led the people of Israel. Moses has died. He's led them now into the promised land, and now they face their first formidable obstacle. Jericho was a garrison city established by the Amorites, one of the seven nations that inhabited the promised land, and they put Jericho right at the Jordan as a defense or a garrison to protect the land from invasion from the east. At the very least, what would happen is Jericho would be there, armies would have to take it. While they were trying to attack and take Jericho, other armies from the Canaanites would come down and would together confront the invader. As a garrison city, Jericho was heavily uh, fortified and it was a formidable fortress. We know from excavations that were done in the 1950s that there were a series of two walls. In fact, we'll bring a picture up here. It had a retaining wall that was 12 to 15 feet high. On top of that, another wall 20 to 26 feet high. Then a slope of ground with another wall that was 20 to 26 feet high. What happened then is that as people were trying to, as an invader was trying to attack the city, they would have to scale this wall. Once there, they would have to endure really the, the onslaught of all of the arrows, the spears, and, and go up this no man's land, almost a death zone, if you will, and then begin an assault on another 20 to 26 foot wall. 
Here's another picture that gives you an idea. So if you're an army down here, you're up this high. The wall may have been with all of the different walls and the elevation there could have been as high, some scholars say, as high as 75 feet tall. It's a massive, massive fortress. So as Joshua is looking at this fortress, it's not the first time that he has seen Jericho. 40 years earlier, when Moses sent 12 spies into the land, Joshua and Caleb were two of them, the only two who had the faith that God could help them conquer the land. Joshua had seen Jericho then. In Numbers chapter 13, verse 28, the people who dwell in the land are strong. This is what the spies said. And the cities are fortified and very large. So now 40 years later, Joshua faces this massive obstacle. He knows that to have a siege where they surround the city and try to starve it out is not going to work. Jericho has stores of food, which interestingly enough, in the excavations, they found whole stores of food completely intact. So they've got food, they've got water, and they've got allies that are coming to their rescue. In that moment, what Joshua needs is not a good idea. What Joshua needs is a God idea. Some here this morning, and you're facing a Jericho. Could be an emotional Jericho, could be a relational Jericho, could be members of your family at odds with one another, could be somebody in your, in your family that you've grown apart, a husband, a wife, a son or a daughter. For some, it's a battle at work, maybe a battle in your finances, maybe a battle physically. And you need a divine solution to your human problem. And in moments like that, and all of us face moments like that, what we need is we need in that moment to see more than what our physical eyes can see. We need to see as God sees. Talk many times about Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. I quote it all the time because I think it is such an important principle for people to get a hold of. The message puts it this way the King James says, Where there is no vision, people perish. The idea is if you can't see things as they really are, you're not going to make it. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it this way if people can't see what God is doing, God is working all the time. God is working in your life and my life. Sometimes he pulls the veil back and we can see what he's doing as he's doing it. Other times we simply are called on to trust that he's working. But whether we see it or whether we don't, if we're walking with the Lord, God is at work. There's some of you today and you wonder if God is, where is he? How come he's not helping you? Let me tell you, he's at work. He's on time. He's active. He's setting things up for you. And God wants us to have a sense of what he's doing. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. For a person to go through life, especially for a believer, to have some kind of idea that all that matters is all that you and I see with our eyes physically is to miss everything spiritually. 
When we're only looking at the physical world and the physical realities, we're going to stumble all over ourselves. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to make bad decisions. But he goes on to say, when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Listen, vision is not what I think needs to be done. Vision is not what I can dream up in my head. Vision is not where I'm headed or what I am doing. Vision is seeing what God is doing. The question is never, is God doing something? The issue is always, what is God doing? And our vision determines what we see. You know, it's possible for us to see and not see. I mean, I was preaching at a, a district conference in Arizona and there are pastors there. And usually what you do, you know, when you're a pastor and you're preaching out, usually you take a message that you've done a few times so that you know it and you know how it's going to land. And, and so on this particular occasion, I thought there was something on my heart. I thought, I'm going to preach this. I prayed about it. Uh, get up there in front of the people. And as I'm there, I, I, I happen to touch the air. It's very dry in Arizona. I happen to touch the corner of my eye and my contact pops out. And um, it was the, you know, it made it difficult to see. And I was like, oh no, I saw it go right there. And so then reflexively, I touched my other eye and the other pop contact pops out. <laughs> so all of a sudden I'm trying to preach a message. I can't see my Bible. I can't read my notes. I can't read anything. I can see, but I cannot see at all. It's a terrible thing to be preaching a sermon when you can't see what's in your notes. But even worse is to be living a life when you can't see what God is doing in your life. So how do we develop spiritual vision? What is it that you and I have to do to, to put ourselves in a situation where we can see, where we can sense what God is doing because God wants you to know what he's doing? His will is not a secret. Paul says, understand what the Lord's will is. He wouldn't say that in Ephesians 5 if it weren't possible for you and I to understand the Lord's will and to sense his working in our life. Three keys. Number one, spiritual vision comes when we submit to God's purpose. In Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13, it's very interesting. Oftentimes, people move right away to Joshua chapter 6 because, I mean, hey, that's, that's a march around the city. They shout. The walls come down. They take the city. It's really just such an amazing, miraculous story. But unless you have Joshua chapter 5 and verses 13 through chapter 6 and verse 2, the rest of chapter 6 is not going to happen. It's times in God's presence that set up the victories in our life in the days and weeks and months to come. We experience less victory in our life when we spend less time in God's presence. Look at it, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. I point this out because you've got eyes and you've got looked. You've got 
sense. What the writer is telling us here is something very important. That what's happening in here is Joshua is going to see double vision. He's going to have natural, physical vision, and he's going to have supernatural vision. In all of our lives, God wants us to see physically, yes, but he wants us simultaneously to have a spiritual sensitivity to what he's doing, to be alert, to be aware. So when we see things happen, we're seeing not only the physical world, but we're seeing the spiritual world at work. Joshua is there. He's looking at Jericho. He's trying to figure out how he's going to take it. I believe Joshua is praying. That as he looks at his obstacle, he's saying, God, I'm going to need your help. I don't know how to do this. How do we take a city like this? We've not faced anything like this before. And then it says, behold. In other words, like, can you believe it? Suddenly, all of a sudden, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. It doesn't say the man was dressed in white. It doesn't say the man was, had shining robes or anything like that. When Joshua looks at him, apparently the person that is there looks like he's dressed in normal clothing. He's not 10 feet tall. He's not angelic in his presentation. And, and we know that because of the way Joshua approaches it. And I mean, can you imagine? Here's Joshua. He's 80 years old. He's sitting there. He's focused on something. He's praying. Have you ever been like praying or you've been, you've been thinking about something and all of a sudden somebody comes and it startles you because you didn't see them come in and they say, hey, excuse me. And, and it just makes you, it gets your attention. Joshua looks and here is this warrior with his sword drawn. I mean, you don't have your sword drawn unless you're going to use it. He's ready to fight. I love what I see in Joshua because remember in chapter one, God's word to Joshua over and over again was, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. You get an idea that that has happened in a big way in Joshua's life. He's gone from being timid to being a bold, courageous person because watch this, at age 80, this is what he does in verse 13, and Joshua went to him. I mean, he gets right up in his face. He's not afraid. He goes right up to him and he has a question for him. Are you for us or for our adversaries? And the man says, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. That, that doesn't answer the question. Joshua says, are you on their side or are you on our side? And you'd expect him to say, I'm on your side, Joshua. But he says, no. Incidentally, the person with the drawn sword, I believe there's every reason to believe this is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. I'll say that because of two things. Number one, Joshua is going to worship him. And if it's an angel, he's going to stop it. As well, when you get to chapter six, it says, and the Lord said, so this conversation is happening between Joshua and the Lord. And look at it in verse 14. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. 
I'm the commander of angel armies. Now I have come. Listen, we always like to wonder, we like to think or predicate in our mind that, that God is on our side. The Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? But honestly, the issue is never, is God on our side? The issue is always, are we on God's side? We have a tendency to frame all of our trials in life with, God, I gotta have your help, I need you to be on my side. God, I need your help with this business deal. God, I need your help with the teacher at school. I, I need you to give me favor here because I need you on my side because I want my son or my daughter to have this teacher, this class. I want them to get accepted into this program. God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to do that. God, I need your help over here. God, I need you on my side. But the real issue is this. Are you on God's side? Joshua says, God, are you on my side? And God says, no. It's very interesting. Does God want to show his power on our behalf? Yes. But Jesus isn't interested in following us. He's come to lead us. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the author, the finisher, the trailblazer of our faith. He's the Lord. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I ask? He's in charge. He's King Jesus. He doesn't want to be your co-pilot. Like the bumper sticker I saw that said, if God is your co-pilot, you're sitting in the wrong seat. Watch Joshua's response. Look at it. And Joshua fell on his face to the ground and worshiped him. He doesn't get angry. He's not disappointed. He's more consumed with the presence of God than he is the solution to his problems. His question is, what does my Lord say to his servant? Instantly, he's submissive. It's no longer about who wins or who is for who. Conquering Jericho has become secondary to pursuing God's presence and purpose. I want to ask you a question. What's more important to you? Is conquering your Jericho more important or is being wholeheartedly, submissively in the presence of the Lord your greatest priority? Spiritual vision comes when we submit to God's purpose. When we say, God, listen, what I really want in this is I want your will. That's not a cop-out. I believe God wants us to know his will. How else can we pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want, I want you to reveal your will to me, and that's really what I want. It's not primarily about my agenda, because there may be things that I want or that I think I need that would actually be detrimental and be less than what you would desire for me in the long run. 
Spiritual vision comes when we submit to God's purpose. Second, spiritual vision comes from being in God's presence. Verse 15, look at this. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Say, so what's with the sandals coming off? Remember, he did that with Moses at the burning bush. Part of it is, I think when you, you take your sandals off, just think of this, you take your sandals off, all of a sudden there is a sensitivity to the ground beneath you. There is, you're gonna be a little more careful where you step. When we come into the presence of the Lord, there is this paradox on the one hand where we're in the presence of the one who calls us friend. On the other hand, we're in the presence of the one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is the majestic, awesome creator of the universe. And here's Joshua, and I mean, immediately, he is in this place of humble submission and sensitivity to the Lord. He's leaning in. This is a pattern that you see throughout the book of Joshua, and I believe it's instructive for us that it's a pattern God, God wants in our life. You see this pattern of consecration as preparation for the supernatural. So in Joshua chapter 3, consecrate yourselves. Why? for tomorrow the Lord will do great things. You see it again in chapter four and five. There's this consecration of thanksgiving. We enter his courts with thanksgiving. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. It's how we come before the Lord. There's something about, this is why the worship is so important. This is why, hey, to come in 10 minutes late and say, well, I get a song and then I got, the idea is that we're worshiping the Lord. We're getting our hearts ready we're consecrating ourselves so that God might move in power in our life and in the circumstances of our life. You see it again in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 8. They, they, they're defeated at Ai, and Joshua tears his clothes. He's weeping before the Lord, and that sets up the, the victory that follows. You see the, the catastrophic results of not being in the presence of the Lord in Joshua chapter 9 when they make a decision and it says clearly they did not seek the Lord. There's something about getting in God's presence that sensitizes us to God's will, God's voice, that strengthens our heart. And the point is simply this, that winning our battles is not nearly as important as worshiping the Lord. Winning the battles will come if you worship the Lord. But if you don't worship the Lord, there will be some battles you'll never win. Spending time in his presence sets the table for us to understand what it is that God wants to do. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. This is a supernatural warfare we're in. It's gonna take more than your ingenuity and your perseverance. It's gonna take the hand of God going before you and I and doing in our life what we can never do on our own. but we're going to experience less or none of that if we're not in God's presence. 
This is one of the great reasons why we need to be in the presence of the Lord. You need to be in the presence of the Lord. It's why the prayer meeting, you're in the presence of the Lord. You're, you're there. You're, you're worshiping. There are things happening. It's not wasted time. No, you wouldn't be better to stay home and veg out in front of the television. No, you wouldn't be better to go run some errands or plan your next day. You'd be better off to come into the presence of the Lord and watch what God would do in your life. This is why daily to be in his presence is so incredibly valuable. It opens your heart and your mind to the things that God wants to do, many of which, again, will not happen any other way. It's in God's presence that we gain insight, understanding, a sense of timing. God wants us to see life honestly. Yes, we have physical eyes. Praise the Lord for them. But God wants us to see things spiritually. Just like Joshua lifted up his eyes and then he looked. That we lift up our eyes to the Lord and we're also seeing physically what's happening. It's both. When a person's walking by faith, they understand that there's a spiritual world and there's a physical world. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is unseen or not on what is seen. Where are you looking? Are you only looking at the physical world? Then you're missing the, the heart of life, the point of life, the, the, the summit of life. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. That tells us some things. It tells us, first of all, the spiritual realm is more important and superior to the physical realm. It tells us that the spiritual realm dominates and influences the physical realm. You're going to watch in the next chapter in Joshua 6. It's a spiritual solution to a physical impossibility. Some of you are facing circumstances and you're looking for a physical solution and the answer's spiritual. This is where faith comes in. Faith is anchored in the spiritual realm. This is what Paul says. Think of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We live by faith, not by sight. Can I ask you, how are you living? What is it that you're basing your decisions on? How is it that you're approaching that problem that, you, that, that seems unsolvable? I'm not saying we shouldn't do what we can do, but we have to, as a priority and at the core, understand that all of life's solutions really come through the spirit realm. There's some, some here today, and I, 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 listen, I'm so thankful you're here. But I want to challenge you in the way you're approaching life. Your life is anchored in the visible realm. And it's because there's a measure of unbelief that directs your life. 
Most people I've met who are filled with unbelief call themselves realists. There's some of you, and you use that term, I'm just a realist. You believe more in the physical realm than you do the invisible realm. You don't understand that the spiritual realm overrules the physical realm, and over and over again, you see that in the Bible. But when you're in the presence of the Lord, what happens is the invisible realm, the spiritual realm, becomes increasingly real as God begins to speak things to your heart, as God begins to show you things, and as God begins to direct your thoughts. By faith, the walk of faith. We talked about epic faith a few months ago. That, that whole idea of, of walking by faith results in you and I knowing things we cannot humanly know. I mean, for example, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. Through faith we understand. What do we understand? That the worlds were formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made from what was visible. So the rest of the verse says, listen, you can't know that by observation. You weren't there. You can't comprehend that in your, in your physical brain. The creation of the universe is very hard for us to fathom. If we think about it physically, I mean, it's just, it's hard for us to imagine how all of that happened. But we know it, how? By faith. So there are some things that you know in your heart before your mind has settled and accepted as true or understands. We see it every week here in the church when you watch people that come forward for salvation. In fact, I just was talking to somebody yesterday. They had family from out of town. They came. He said, I, was, I wasn't sure what they would think of the service because, you know, like he said, this is so awesome. When you bring people to James River, you just don't know what people are going to think. I mean... <laughs> He said, at the end of the service, I looked, and their hand was raised. When people come forward, if you were to ask those people, what was happening? Did you know this? Did you know you were a sinner? Did you know, did you know, and, and you begin to ask them what they know, there'd be a lot of things they wouldn't know in their mind, they would just sense in their heart. As you and I walk with the Lord, there are things what we want to do is live out of our heart. I'm not saying we don't think. I'm just simply saying that faith resides in the heart. That faith as a result helps us understand some things in our heart. We know it in our heart before it makes sense to us in our mind. And if we try to reason it through in our mind, our faith will be dissipated and weakened. The problem for some is, is not that you don't have enough faith, it's that you don't act on your faith. You're too busy trying to figure it out with your mind. And your mind's about 10 miles behind your heart. God has spoken to you. God is leading you. He wants you to walk by faith. God speaks by faith. It's the means by which my heart sees, my heart hears, my heart understands by faith. And let me just say this for people, and I hope this is helpful for people, that as we're talking about sensing the Lord and a lot of times what people want is they want to hear a voice, they want to hear words, they want to, they, well, I didn't, I didn't hear anything. 
If you felt God's presence, he's at work. If you're in his presence, if you know, if you know you've been with him, that's all you need. It's great when you hear things because God does speak. And I'm not saying God won't speak. I'm just simply saying, if you've been in his presence, he's at work. Number three, spiritual vision comes when we believe God's promise. Look at it in Joshua chapter six. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Let me just say this, this is verse one and it's juxtapositioned with verse two. So what you have here, again, the, the whole passage is built on this, this double vision. This is the physical world. If you look with your physical eyes, cities shut up, nobody's going out, nobody's coming in because Israel's there at the base. But the Lord said, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. Physically, nothing's changed. Spiritually, everything's changed. Say that again. Physically, nothing's changed. Spiritually, everything's changed. Don't make the mistake of thinking that because you didn't see something change after you prayed, nothing has changed. Not true. You may not see anything in the physical world yet, but in the physical world, everything's changed. That's what's happened there. I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. Where are the mighty men of valor? They're still up on the top of the wall with their, their arrows and their spears. The king's still sitting on his throne, but he's finished. When you go to the Lord in prayer, when you ask, prayer is not an empty exercise. Prayer is never a waste of time. When you ask, you receive. When you seek, you find. When you knock, the door is open. Believe that. You came in today, you prayed. Things are different. It doesn't matter what you see. Because there's a spiritual world that determines what happens in the physical world. Physically, Jericho's fortified. Spiritually, it has fallen. Physically, it's still an obstacle. Spiritually, the battle's over. Once he believes those words, listen to this, he gets God's plan in the verses that follow. But he's got to believe. He's got to believe that what's going to happen is, is right there. And he's going to have to go back into the 
camp and he's going to have to speak words of faith without any physical evidence. He's going to have to go back and tell the people, Jericho is ours and I've got a plan from the Lord. We're going to march around it six days, once one time for six days and on the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times. Then the priests are going to blow the trumpet and we're all going to shout and the walls are going to come down and it's over. Can you imagine the faith it's going to take for him to say that? Some of you are shooting yourselves in the foot spiritually because you're constantly expressing your doubts and your fears. Well, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know. I hope. I hope God can do it. I don't know. I didn't feel anything. I don't see anything. Doubt dies if left unexpressed, but it lives if you vocalize it. And not only does it live in you, but you are transplanting it in the hearts of others. You're creating an atmosphere of unbelief that is working against it. And people say, well, you know what? I'm just being true to myself. I'll just, I'll just say it like I see it. Well, you know what? You can be as true to yourself as you want, but you'll never gain spiritual victory by giving voice to defeat. God's going to speak his promise to your heart. God's going to say to you at some point, I'm going to help you. God's going to give you a sense in your heart that he's heard you. At that point, what you do is absolutely critical. Will you believe? Will you say, oh God, I know. Thank you. You've heard me. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Show me what to do. God will speak his promise to your heart. And if you believe it, he'll tell you his plan. But if you don't believe it, you'll never hear his plan. Because your lack of faith will shut down your ability to hear God's voice. Now look at this, Joshua 6 verse 1, we'll close here in just a second. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given you Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, everyone straight before him. Does it make sense physically? No. Does it make sense spiritually? Yes, because it's God's plan. And Joshua's going to have to be bold enough to walk back into the camp and say, okay, team, here's what we're going to do. That's what faith does. Faith speaks God's promise. Faith speaks God's word. Faith speaks God's goodness. Joshua is a man who's walking by faith, and as a result, he sees the invisible, he hears the inaudible, and he speaks the impossible. What are you speaking? So wrap this up. I want, I want to just ask you to consider three things. What's more important to you? Conquering Jericho, whatever your Jericho is, or pursuing God's purpose for your life? 
are you willing to say, you know, some, some here today, you're afraid. You're, you want what you want. And you don't understand that what God wants for you is so much better than what you could ever want for yourself. And God's way is so much more life-giving, so much more filled with blessing. But you're not going to know it until you submit to his presence, until you fall before him and just say, God, I want what you want. It's in the presence of the Lord we gain spiritual vision. It's in his presence that that you and I really begin to see the invisible realm. That's why you need your devotions. That's why you need the prayer meeting. That's why, that's why we need to be in church. You know, listen, I mean, in the day when, when people are talking because of the pandemic, what's church attendance gonna be like and all this and that, honestly, I don't worry much about it. I will say this to people, whether you're watching online or whether you are, are here, you need, you need church every week. You just do. I mean, I need church every week. And you, you shortchange yourself and forfeit. I'm not talking, God's not like, oh, I'm not going to bless him there. No, it's when you're in the presence of the Lord, things happen that wouldn't happen otherwise. Straight up, that's how it works. That's why you want to be in the presence of the Lord. You never know what he's going to do, what he's going to show you, how he's going to work, how he's going to help you. You say, well, I think God's big enough that he under, hey, he, he gets the vacation. I'm not against people going on vacation, but I do think if people are checked out all summer long or people are only going sporadically, there's a huge void that creates in their life in terms of what God would have done in their life and what they would have experienced of his presence. I'm just simply saying there's a value in connecting to the presence of the Lord regularly. And finally, God is speaking to some of you right now. For some of you, you don't, you don't see him. You can't hear his voice, but you can sense his presence. His presence is in this place. If his presence is in this place, God is at work in your life because you're in this place. And that needs to encourage you. Believe him. Trust him. Go forward from this encounter in his presence, speaking words of faith that the walls of your Jericho would fall down. The battle's been won. Amen.